0: You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres Rodriguez, personal finance expert, speaker, writer, and business coach. I teach women of color how to build wealth and gain financial independence through side hustles and investing. On this show, we're serving up POC-friendly personal finance knowledge, always with a side of sass. We're talking about how to make dinero, how to keep it, and how to make it grow. If you're ready to become poderosa with your dinero, You've come to the right place. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. This is your host, Janice, and today's episode is about how to build wealth with real estate investing. We're going to be talking to Oscar and Herman Buendía, also known as the REI Brothers. Oscar and Herman are both active duty military as well as co founders of two companies, REI Brothers and Good Day Capital. REI Brothers is their social media outreach and education platform where they showcase their podcast, blog, and projects. Good Day Capital is their real estate investing firm for the purpose of syndicating apartment buildings. In this episode, we're going to find out all about Oscar and Herman's journey to real estate investing, what actually got them interested, and how now they are using this tool to build wealth for themselves and their families. Let's get into today's episode. All right. Thank you for being on the podcast. We actually have two guests today. They are known as the REI Brothers on Instagram. And so, Oscar and Herman, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Dennis. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: Absolutely. So, why don't you guys go ahead and start off by introducing yourselves? How- Oscar, you can go first.
2: Okay. So, uh, my name is uh, Oscar Buendia. And um, been in the military for about thirteen years. Um, financially you know i I'm a real estate investor that is my is my thing.'ve um, been doing that for five years actively before that was more educationally. I um, have a passion for uh, helping others uh, at least get their their finances straight to then invest. Um, let's see and I'm Colombian. <laughs> I was born in Colombia. Grew mm-hmm. up in New Jersey, uh, and I do real estate investing with my uh, older brother, German. I'll pass it along to you.
3: Uh, hi, Janice. Uh, thank you for having us. And uh, my name is German. Buendia. I'm in. Uh, I'm in the Marine Corps for 19 years. I'm retiring soon. I am a, a real estate investor, as well as my brother. We've been doing this for combined uh, between the two, the two of us, about uh, over 10 years, and uh, we. Uh, our focus on multifamily right now in, uh, in Tampa, Florida, and we're very excited to be in your show.
0: Wow, that's so exciting. So you guys actually grew up in New Jersey. So did I. So where did you grow up?
3: In Plainfield, New Jersey
0: no way I yeah. literally grew up in Elizabeth and I lived in Scotch Plains before I moved to um, I'm in the Tampa Bay Area now in Florida so it's nice. like full circle how cool oh, awesome
3: <laughs> awesome and I'm moving to Tampa Florida uh, hopefully by the end of the year
0: oh my gosh that is so awesome you're gonna love it
3: <laughs> yeah I know I used to I used to live there about seven eight years ago uh, I loved it that's why I'm moving back there retired in Florida
0: wow that's awesome okay yeah. so we have so much to unpack first of all what inspired both of you to go into the military?
3: Well, I went before my brother. I actually, I'm the eldest in the family. Uh, what inspired me? Um, I don't know. I think uh, boredom. I <laughs> yeah. I, w- I went to college. Uh, I discovered really, really early in my college uh, time that it wasn't for me. At least at the time when I went, mm. um, I was. Uh, I always wanted to. To travel the world, um, and when I discovered the Marine Corps, because I didn't know anything about the military, I never ever in my entire life thought about being in the military. Actually, I was scared of it. Um, and then I kind of saw—I saw this show on, <laughs> on on TV back then. It was like Discovery Channel or something about a boot camp, and I was like, you know what? That seems kind of cool. Uh, I want to go try it. And uh, Almost 20 years later, here I am. <laughs> so yeah, that's wow. what it was.
0: That's amazing. So Oscar, did you basically like follow in your big brother's footsteps or like did you have a different reason to go?
3: So yeah,
2: I, I think initially um, I I was looking for something to do right after uh, high school. I wasn't sure what I could do. I didn't really do <laughs> as good as I wanted in high school. So then I, I, I said, well, let me... Let me try the military. And then, you know, initially I tried, I was thinking of going into the the Marines too. And my brother said, no, don't do that. (laughs) And then I went, uh, he said go Air Force and Navy. And then I I said, let me try to do Air Force. So I went in that way and I'm I'm thankful I did. Uh, Just a different kind of environment. And uh, I was really, really blessed that I could go that route.
0: That's awesome. So I think that's a really common story for a lot of Latinos. Like the military provides opportunities that I think like me as a kind of a spoiled like first generation kid that grew up in the US like I didn't really even think about going to the military like my dad he was in the navy and he always spoke about like just the ability that the navy gave him to like learn all these skills that still to this day like he's a computer programmer and he, that foundation of education came from the navy and He always spoke so highly of it that I think I just always took for granted, like how life changing that experience was for him because he was able to leave Puerto Rico and, you know, come to the United States and and live like this amazing life. And a lot of the foundation for that was was thanks to the military. So shout out to all of our military listeners. Like you guys are the real deal. I love it.
4: Thank you. Yeah, so
3: let me,
2: let me add <laughs> on to that because one, one of the things that I, I researched before joining, like I, I knew I wanted to do something with my life, but I didn't know what, but I started looking at several successful people that I admired at the time as far as financially, um, and a lot of them had served a little bit in the military or there had been immigrants who had sped up their their process in, or their status, I would say, in the fact that they had joined the military and that set up a good foundation for, for the next generation and so forth. Mm. So like you said, it can set a very good, good base and foundation. You just got to know, you know, what job and how to, how to really get into it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm curious, like, you know, you guys are out here in the world, you're investors, you're teaching people about money. So what was your relationship like with money growing up? Did you come from a family that, like, talked about money? Like, what was that whole thing like for you guys?
3: No, not necessarily. Money was always scarce. Uh, we live a, a pretty, uh, or from my perspective, we live a pretty um, uh, healthy in happy childhood. Uh, Our family was really tied together. But I think we grew up just like most of the people that grows up. Uh, One, always with the belief is like, hey, uh, we don't want to be greedy. Um, So money wasn't like a a very good thing. Um, uh, We weren't very organized with money. Uh, We were never in our family. Nobody was a saver. You know, nobody saved money. Uh, investing. Nobody knew anything about investing. So uh, yeah, we didn't have any education whatsoever besides a pay your bills on time and in and, and work hard.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a very a common story.
3: <laughs> yep.
2: Yeah, it's a generational thing. Our you know our parents, you know that's that's the world they knew. You know you worked and you maybe had a pension and you know you just that was the routine. Yeah. Right. Especially coming you know as as you know we they came to this country with nothing so their idea was just survival <laughs> was investing
0: yeah that, that's such a good point and that definitely resonates with me i think my parents still have a hard time like accepting the fact that i pursue entrepreneurship and that i like i'm I, when I get bored with a job, like I will go looking for another one. Like I'm not one to really just, you know, work at the same place for like 40 years and just be comfortable. And I think that just goes against everything that they believe is important. You know, they're like so big on stability and like being comfortable. And I'm just like so opposite of them from that perspective. And I think it's just like that generational and the cultural difference, right. Of like how they grew up versus how we grow up. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm curious. You're you're in the military. How do you actually start getting involved with real estate? Because I I have a hard time first understanding how you would have the time for that, and like secondly, how you would have the exposure to that. Uh,
3: so I, again, I was always uh, the first step on everything, <laughs> um, <laughs> and but my brother was. And my brother, I, I I always tell him that he's the brains of the of the family. Uh, I I was always. Um, involved in in other businesses and other ventures, and so I always wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was uh, since I was little. I just didn't know how to get into it because I never had um, that network. I never had friends that were entrepreneurs. Uh, real estate again wasn't something that I knew or knew anybody in it to uh, to ask questions about it. So I got into ventures. My brother um, kind of saw that in me as well. And one day uh, around 2015, he, um, he got with me and he told me, hey, read this book. And when I read that book and I let my brother tell the, st- the story from his perspective, um, I read that book and it just changed, changed my world. And, uh, and here we are.
2: Hmm.
0: So Oscars, tell us the story of how you introduced your brother to this idea of real estate investing.
2: Yeah, so you know, like you mentioned, I, I was seeing them get into, you know, some kind of investing um, that that I personally w- was not a fan of, um, and it was more towards, um, you know, MLM mm. uh, marketing things mm-hmm. like that. Uh, and and I didn't, I never felt comfortable with any of those. And then I I started really educating myself, come around 2012, and reading a lot of books about investing. And then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. And then from there, um, my world completely opened up as to, you know, the different quadrants of of people in this world and the investor, the the business type, the people that make money work for them while they're sleeping. And then the regular, you know, W2 guy, which which is okay if that's what you want to do. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, this, the, these books, they, they show you, you know, they, they open up your mindset. That's really all they do because they don't provide that blueprint, um, step-by-step step of how to do things, but they, they change your mindset. So I was like, you know, Hey bro, you know, read this book and when you're done, let talk, let's talk about it. And yeah, he, he was hooked just like anyone else who, who reads, uh, any Robert Kiyosaki book.
0: So what is it about that book specifically that like made the light bulb go off in your head?
2: Well, it was essentially, it was everything because the story is amazing. And it's just, you know, the difference between, you know, what my parents, which they they were not rich, so they were the, the poor parents who did not teach any of that and would always say, hey, save money, save money. And then versus what in that book would say, hey, you know, actually, you know, they would start talking about your savings. You know, your savings make less than 1%, even less than, you know, 0.01% right uh-huh. uh, at times and how that is actually you're losing money just with inflation um, so when you put money in a savings account that's not really helping you um, and, and like I said it created that vision as said, wow okay this is what people with money do they actually go out and find things investments that will beat inflation that will be a savings account that will grow over time. And eventually when you pass it down, it's not, you know, it's not devaluated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's such an important point because a lot of these books and even podcasts and blogs that many of us, um, experience like our initial financial educations through, that's what they do, right? They trigger these ideas that we did not grow up talking about, And they expose you to these ideas. So then you get curious and you start kind of diving down the rabbit hole and wanting to find out more. But if you don't even know like what's out there, how do you know what to look for? So I think like that, that definitely resonates with me um, because I feel like I kind of started down the same path, right? I read a Susie Orman book, Women and Money. And then I'm like, oh my God, like what is this she's talking about? She's talking about investing and like, I don't know any investors in my family, Um, so I need to go and find out more information. So I start listening to podcasts and connecting with people on Instagram. And like, next thing you know, I'm starting a personal finance podcast. Right. But it's like, if that idea of like your money, just not being a source of stress, but actually being a tool that you can create generational wealth with, like once you start understanding that idea, it's a game changer for sure.
2: No, absolutely. That's spot on.
0: Yeah, I I love what you that you mentioned MLMs, because I have such a hatred for these organizations, because I feel like especially they prey on people of color, they prey on Latinos, like they prey on single mothers and stay at home mothers. And it's like so predatory, but they sell people this idea that you're owning a business and you're not really owning anything. You're paying somebody to, quote unquote, help you make money, which I think it's a huge red flag that people need to be aware of.
2: Yeah. And it I mean, it's not any different than any other pyramid, which I mean, realistically speaking, a W2 job is very similar <laughs> to mm. a pyramid. We just, it's a legal pyramid. We just don't talk about it that way, but you know, n- not to knock on MLM because I do know there are some out there that, that have helped people. And for some people it works. However, The churn in MLM is real. I mean, you have to be doing some serious marketing in order to really keep people and happy. But like you said, in order to do that, it becomes almost predatory. So Mm -hmm. do you want to be involved with something like that? And not to mention, if you pick a wrong one, a lot of those products aren't that great. (laughs) Right.
0: That's a good point. And and it's not even really about the products at the end of the day. It's about you recruiting people. So Exactly. Is it ever really about what you're selling? I would say probably not.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious if you would expand a little bit on this uh I think sort of controversial concept that you just mentioned where like a W2 is kind of a form of a pyramid scheme. What do you mean by that?
2: Well, it's illegal. I mean, it's legal, right? So right. like when we, when you talk about like a, a normal pyramid scheme, you're talking about you have people that work. That's a boss and work below you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and and they're working. I mean, you don't see it in a normal job because everyone's compensated through the through the company, not through any upsell. But I mean, that if you really if you really think about it, there's it's still a pyramid. <laughs> it's right. just it's just, just formed in just a look legal at the legal way
0: charts that HR yeah. will provide you.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just that it's it's legally allowed and it's not taboo right? So if you shift your mindset a little bit between those terms and you look at what any other <laughs> MLM is doing, I mean it's still a <laughs> pyramid, it's not different. Yeah. So that, that was my point there. I mean yeah. and, and of course a W2 job is more stable and and you know it's probably better, more benefits, but there are similarities very mm-hmm. clearly. But people don't like to to admit or talk about that.
0: Yeah. I love that. All right. So I want to dive into your real estate ventures. So like, how did you guys actually get started with your first real estate property? Uh,
3: So So, let me, let me, let me me start. (laughs) Uh, So I started uh, real estate by actually um, educating myself, reading a lot of books, podcasts. And then when I felt that I was ready, I started investing in, in flips and wholesaling. Just like everybody, or, or most people do, you know that uh, that um, that stay close to it, and, and and I would say have a lot of um, mind blocks or 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 like low ceilings, you know, because you don't have the finances, you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the network, so you think that you can only do flips or um, or wholesaling. And not only that, but that's what the media sells. You know, you go to HGTV and and, <laughs> and they make it so exciting. It's like, oh my God, these people in 20 minutes they flip a house and this get they get all this money. Um so that's basically how I started. And uh, and I think my my brother did the same thing, but go ahead Oscar.
2: Yeah so then I I was trying to separately from my brother at this time we were doing uh wholesaling and other different strategies that were more to be honest, more at, at an entry level of, you know, I, I'm not going to talk bad about wholesalers, but, you know, it's it's an easy entryway and the demographics show it too. Like we, a lot of Latinos and a lot of minorities are in it, right? And it's a very hard churn and it's a grunt job. Eventually, uh, I did it and, you know, I did it for like about a year and, and I didn't really enjoy it. Um, I had some successes. I had mentors and actually had a couple deals kind of taken for me. But at the end of the day, I learned a lot. And that's what I took the most out of it. And then eventually it teamed up with my brother. And that's when we bought our, our large portfolio. Before that, I was doing buy and hold. So I had my own rental properties where I was, you know, investing, buying them and just collecting cash flow on my own. Um, and it was all about the numbers. Um, holding it, you know, I was um, netting about 400 after all expenses, um, capital expenditures, you name it. And, you know, that that was my cash flow every month, $400. And it still is because I have have those on my own. But then I, I, you know, come last year, I talked to my brother. I said, hey, let's expand. Let's buy some stuff together.
1: Mm -hmm. And then that's
2: when uh, German went out to Ohio and and we bought our our first uh, portfolio. And it was a portfolio of 20 units um, in one shot. So we, you know, we didn't, we had limited beliefs before that, you know, being one property here, one property there, uh, slowly. And then from there, I mean, all limited beliefs were gone as far as how you can leverage money and how you can buy something that is essentially bigger. Um, yeah, so it was an amazing time, amazing experience, and I'd love to share more about it.
0: So yeah we're gonna get into all of that I'm just curious for anybody who doesn't know that's listening what exactly is wholesaling?
2: So wholesaling is essentially um, think of think of like a realtor um, but it but you're not licensed so essentially your your goal is to find off market deals deals that are not on the on on the MLS and then what you do is um, you, talk to an owner and the idea is that these homes are discounted They're because they're either distressed or they need maintenance or the owners can't keep up paying payments, all sorts of reasons. Right. And then once that, once you reach an agreement you put it under a contract and then essentially you then take that to an actual buyer and you sell it to the buyer. So if you bought it, say for 50 grand at home, and then you put it on the contract for yourself. And then you went to a, a another buyer and you sold it for him for 60 grand. You as the middleman now made 10 grand. Mm. Um, and then there's other nuances that you have to do like a double closing. Make sure you do everything legally. But essentially in the gist, I said you're a middleman who takes a cut between a seller and another buyer. Um, and sometimes people make ridiculous fees of you know, 10k or more, 50k. I mean, wholesalers are always trying to get a good cut, mm-hmm. which which they deserve because they're doing a lot of work trying to market and reach owners. So yeah, and, and and that's what wholesaling is.
0: So how do you actually find these deals if they're not on the MLS?
2: That that's the thing. You have to either door knock or you have to <laughs> oh, wow. yeah look for you know signs of a home that's distressed. Uh, you know, you can you can do um pre-foreclosures, right? Mm -hmm. Search who's about to go down and before the bank takes it come in and save the day. A lot of times it's it was about you know win win scenario. You you you're trying to not you know they're gonna lose a home. So you have to go in there and say, hey, I'm trying to help you not have this on your record and negotiate a lesser sale, you know, or Maybe it's someone that inherited properties that doesn't want them and mm. wants to let go of them quick. Okay, well, if you want them to go quick, how about you give me a discount, right? So, yeah, there's and it takes a lot of work.
0: Yeah, it does sound like a lot of work. Um, so you guys decide to team up together to buy, what is it, an apartment building?
2: No, no, it's a, it's a portfolio. Okay. Um, total of 20, 20 uh, units is all Single family and multi-family, okay. uh, one through four units.
0: Got it. So, how does that actually work? How do you purchase a portfolio of properties?
3: German, you want to take? Yeah. Uh, well, the portfolio we didn't know until we kind of um, stumbled into it. Uh, what I did was I went to Ohio and I tried to. I went there for like a week and I tried to network uh, as much as I could with wholesalers with uh, realtors brokers I went to every meetup that I could in a week and then uh, we stumbled across this this seller that knew that I was in town I, I actually marketed myself and marketed that trip in Facebook and all the uh, all the all the uh, groups the real estate groups in, in Facebook and I, I just let them know hey I'm going to Ohio from this day to this date I want to talk to everybody in real estate that I could. Um, so the seller of this portfolio, uh, got to me through Facebook and she told me, Hey, I'm selling all my properties. I'm retiring. Uh, I don't know if you will be interested in it at that point. Um, what I did, I mean, I, I got pretty excited. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you because our goal uh, during that trip was to maybe purchase one or two houses. Right. Again, mm-hmm. like my brother said, limited beliefs. We, we thought that what we had in cash uh, we could only afford maybe one or two houses, one for each, and then start from there. But then um, we we started doing the uh, the due diligence on on this portfolio. She had over three hundred properties that she was she was uh, loading off, um, and then we came down to okay, we can without knowing, right? We we I had a, a pretty good network. I live in California and I had a pretty good network that was helping me with, uh, with the flips before. So I contacted somebody that, uh, that I thought that she could be our partner. And what she told us was, I know that you can do it on your own. Uh, just, let's just start doing the due diligence. And I mean, uh, out of, out of nowhere, she crushed all those limited beliefs. As we started stepping, uh, one step at a time, we started, uh, Finding out more processes, how to uh, negotiate, how to um, how to structure the deal so we could actually do it with our money, and uh, we ended up buying thirteen of those uh, of those properties, um, and that's how you stumble um, through any deal. As a matter of fact, you know if you want to wholesale, you just got to market yourself. Hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I uh, what I'm trying to do, and you you talk to to people who are in the network who have uh, homes, um, who uh, who are in financial situations that they might need help with their properties. And that's basically the, the same approach that I took uh, when I went to Ohio. I just, I just told everybody I'm going there and this is what I'm looking for. Um, and that's how it happened.
0: Got it. Okay, so I have so many questions. Um, the first one is, why Ohio?
3: Okay, so Ohio came across because... I kept listening to a lot of podcasts. And also, there was a friend of my mom, she, and she was purchasing properties in Ohio at a really deep discount at the court steps. So she would go, she she lives in, in New Jersey as well. And she would go to New Jersey, go to the courthouse when they were um, selling all these properties. And she would buy properties at seven ten thousand dollars $10,000. She would go out there and flip them. And then and then sell them or put them to, to rent so I told my brother like man well, I mean at that at that with that money we can buy again one or two houses in a week right mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just thinking it, in in a week time I can come out with two so I actually went to the core steps as well to see uh, if we could uh, or at least the process on how we could uh, uh, process how we could purchase uh, properties there so that's so these why these Ohio... are homes
0: that are being like foreclosed on or auctioned off or something like
3: that. Ex- exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, in in one of the things that also attracted us was the entry point, right? I mean, the, the prices were relatively low. If we didn't get any any auctions or we didn't get any discount properties, we could also afford maybe one or two houses at, at thirty or or twenty thirty thousand dollars, and it, it, they will be paid off. There will be cash cash flowing from day one. Uh, laws in in Ohio for investors are pretty good. They're pretty um, uh, investor um, friendly, so that helps us as well. Uh, like I told you, the uh, the cash flow, uh, the price versus the uh, the the uh, the rents, uh, they make sense as well as for the uh, for the investors. The cap rates in Ohio are pretty good as well. So. So we decided to to look into Ohio and, and, and it was pretty it was pretty good. It was a pretty good experience.
0: Okay. So what you're describing sounds to me like a real estate syndicate. Is that accurate?
3: Not no. at that point.
2: Okay. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, no. Go that on. that was what well, that was a, a joint venture between him and I. A, okay. syndication would be you, you raise capital, you have investors. Um yeah, a whole different thing. And okay. we can go into that as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. So um, my first, my next question for you is how much money do you actually need to like participate in these types of deals? Because when I think of like buying 13, 20, whatever properties, I'm just like, okay, well, I don't have like half a million dollars in the bank. So like, how am I supposed to do this?
3: Janice, let me tell you something. I love that. <laughs> I love that question because. Of all the podcasts that we've been to, nobody asked that question. (laughs) And that was one of the limited beliefs that we had. It's like, okay, we don't have that much cash. You know, Uh, I mean, we had savings and we, I mean, substantially, we had, we had pretty good savings. We just didn't know what the potential of our savings. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I love your question because yeah, we didn't have, we didn't have that much. Um, And we, we pulled it off from Everywhere we could to um, to find that. So just to give you numbers, because I'm not I'm not afraid to give you numbers. Is I had my my retirement account. I took I had twenty dollars a twenty dollars. Sorry, twenty <laughs> thousand 20, <laughs> twenty around twenty five thousand dollars in cash that I just pulled from from that uh, from that account. That I that I was like okay again because the prices in Ohio were so low that I could probably buy me one or two houses if, if it was from the courthouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, then I could just afford one house for $20,000 or maybe mm-hmm. at least a down payment. Um, and that's where I started with, $20,000. Uh, my brother had a, a similar amount of money. Uh, but when the, uh, the portfolio came out, I mean, we pulled money from everywhere because the opportunity was so huge. That, uh, that I was willing to take everything that I had and put it into this portfolio. Um, so same thing with my brother.
2: So okay. one of the things we did was, you know, our, our family was huge. You know, we, our, our mom had some money saved, so she gave us some money. Not, not gave us, we, we pay, were paying her back, um, but that was part of that. You know she believed in us and we at this time we didn't want to use investors which we were starting to to attract um, just because we didn't feel comfortable doing that yet so mm-hmm. this was still just a in-house portfolio and you know we're we're provide, if we provide returns it's for our family and if we mess up it's on us you know what I mean like right our, <laughs> you not you're not
0: beholden to like some some rich dude who's gonna come after you with a bunch of lawyers or something
2: <laughs> yeah well the rich dude I'm not worried about it's it's more the people without money cause yeah,
1: okay. yeah the, the
2: non investor investors usually the harder one uh, um, people with money understand the risk but people without money are for some reason, they get mad over a <laughs> dollar. Well,
0: well, yeah, I mean, that they makes need
3: sense. it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so speaking of risk, like, how do you assess if this is a good decision? Because I think that's another thing that like a lot of people get caught up in like, am I making the right choice? Like, how do I know this is a good investment? So what does that process look like?
3: Well, you got to you got to learn the math. Uh, and it takes a while to learn the math and feel comfortable with it, where you can just do it on your he- in your head. You know, at the beginning is very confusing. It's like going to to physics class, and you're like, "What is going on?" You know, so many numbers, so many rules. Uh, but the the, the actuality is, is really simple. You know, when you start doing the math and when you start understanding the processes, and and and, and it's really simple. It's simpler than than opening any other business. It's simpler than any other. Uh, investment like on the stock market or anything like that is is for real estate is, is pretty simple uh so that's how we um we kind of mitigated the uh the risk on what we got into uh, knowing the math and and having the experience as well my brother and i had some experience in it and um and, and, and it made sense i mean again it's the ratio between the, uh, the the price that we're paying for the properties and the income that is producing
0: hmm Yeah. So is there like a specific ratio that you use to know that it's a good deal versus not?
2: Well, that, that's evolved big time. So yeah. and it depends on what what you're buying. So for example, if you are if you're doing a regular duplex or regular residential property, there's really good calculator out there, which is the bigger pockets one. I don't like to recreate the wheel. And mm-hmm. I always tell people that is the one. That is solid. I mean, it, you can't go wrong with it. And yeah, I mean, I, I want to if it if it's just an individual property, I want to make at least uh, one hundred fifty after all expenses. So I want to net one hundred fifty in cash flow. There's other rules like you know the the one percent rule, which is you're making one percent of what the property is worth. So if it's worth what is it, a hundred thousand, then it's you're, you're renting again. it for a thousand dollars. You rent in for a thousand dollars, sort of rules like that. But then when you get into more sophisticated investments like a syndication, uh, now we're talking about you know criteria cap rate. We're talking about uh, location yeah. uh, as far as uh, the the areas. You know the asset. Uh, then we're talking about the cash on cash. We're talking about um, IRR. How long you're holding that investment. Uh, and the total return on on investment overall in a three to five year term i mean you should be looking at that as well in 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 a regular investment but it's not it's not as uh it's not as hard to do you know with a smaller one that it is with a, a bigger one
0: mm-hmm. so would you guys say that you're pretty much buy and hold real estate investors at this point
2: uh yeah i would say at this point we well no, I would say I yeah, don't know. I don't know. Investors. I don't
3: yeah, but I don't know if in the multifamily circle it's called buy and hold anymore. It's just multifamily investors, uh, uh-huh. syndicators. Uh but yeah, but that but that's basically the concept is that we, we buy the properties and we hold the properties for mm-hmm. for yeah. for a, for an income, yes.
0: Okay, so you make this first deal and your mind is blown, You're, you see these possibilities now. So like what's what's next after this first deal? like how do you guys continue to expand your portfolios?
3: I so, love that question too. go ahead, Oscar. Yeah
2: No no yeah so that that's an amazing question. So we from there what we did um, we realized the ability to raise cap- capital we realized the ability to scale to a whole different level. So from there, that's when we uh, looked into syndication. Um, And syndication is just another fancy word for crowdfunding Mm. for those out there that don't understand what that means. But you as a, uh, well, as a real estate investor, if you started syndication uh, there's different regulations, but you, this is one of the beautiful things of being a real estate investor that you don't need a license to start a real estate investing firm. It's one of the industries where the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission um, says, that, hey, if you're a real estate investor, you could start a firm. You don't need a li- a, pro- a financial license. Um, you just need to have the proper education, do it right and don't mess up. Mm-hmm. And they have specific rules for that. So as a, as a real estate investor, we have an entry point um, and then the tax benefits are huge. So then from there we decided, hey, let's look into this. This is how you actually do it right for raising capital. And we actually started to raise uh, capital uh, for other deals. We had a 24 unit under contract. This was a an apartment uh, complex, a condo complex, I guess. And then we had other two deals, 50 unit, and I think there was a 75 unit. And in one night, we raised about three hundred thousand dollars. We did a a webinar. We talked to. It was just a lot of our friends, um, people that we knew, and and people that had been following our journey uh, early on. And yeah, we we raised capital. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, COVID happened, Mm. and a lot of those deals went away. Uh, The capital shrunk a little bit because. People were more concerned. Um, And then from there, we decided, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a lot of things that we're missing so far. We're we're going so 150 miles per hour. And we decided to advance our education uh, to do this 100% right for the people that we have as investor pool. So we joined an academy. uh, It's called uh, Jake and Gino Academy. They're multifamily syndicators, owners, operators, uh, in there, there's about a thousand people, and then in, you know, one our knowledge blew up. Our network has grown. I mean, by a million, um, and from there we've raised even more capital. Now where we've been approached by kind of institutional companies that are uh, hedge funds or, or or equity firms, and they're like, hey, if you have a deal, we can we have investors we can pull into your deal. And it's all about fitting the puzzle so as of right now we have a team of five people um and we are we're looking at you know 50 to hundred fifty units in in florida in tampa mm-hmm. um more specifically and honestly we're just waiting for the deals to, to start popping up and we're starting the campaign to go directly to the owners um, just because covid the market is a little bit weird so we're, we're kind of Still looking, but we're not finding that many good deals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes sense. There's a lot of uncertainty right now in in the world. And I think, you know, that's obviously um, trickling into the real estate field as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like these things sound quite complicated, like structuring how people get paid based on like, is it based on how much they invest? Like, how does that work?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you, 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 that's exactly it. Okay. So there's different, there's different. Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com dinero.
2: Different. Um, I mean it depends on who's structuring the deal, but there's everything from a waterfall, which is depending on if you invest, let's say, a higher tier over fifty K or over a hundred, the more you invest, the more of a percentage of the asset you get. So the more uh distribution you get uh from cash flow or from when you sell it or refinance it and you pull more money out. Mm-hmm. Um yeah yeah but but the beauty of it, and we haven't even touched it is you know these are investments that you know minorities and this is this is really why I think a lot of people need to know this, and I kind of wrote it in the in the questionnaire you asked, mm-hmm. you know people who don't who are not a credit investor which don't don't make two hundred k or more in a year um don't have a million. Dollars worth of, um, that are not worth a million dollars don't have access to a lot of these investments that are making, you know, 80% total return in, in a period of three or five years. And the reason for that is because the government protects people who are, who are not accredited investors and says, Hey, these investments are deemed way too risky and we don't want Anyone to lose money. We rather keep people happy and that's it. So, the greatest wealth vehicles are these deals. And I'm not saying ours are the best deals, but I'm saying in general, I mean, we've seen deals where people are investing 100K and in five years, they could be pulling out 300K, 400K.
0: Wow. I mean,
2: talk about building wealth, right? right. And you and I may not have access to it unless we know the guy structuring that deal because that guy can't tell you, hey, I have a really good deal for you and you should know about it because that's against the law. The ah. government's protecting you and me from someone scamming them, Which, which there are people doing that. But right. at the end of the day, we're missing so much opportunity to grow our money because stocks and bonds and all that, I mean, 8%, 7%, that's, that's not bad. Right. But it is not gonna build this generational wealth that, that you hear about, and that and, and that's really how people are doing it: syndications, you know, so, and not just in real estate, in marijuana, you name it.
0: Oh wow, I my mind is being blown right now. Okay, so how the hell do you find out about these deals if they're not allowed to be publicly advertised?
2: So you need to know, like a a, a syndicator. So, so
0: that's basically, you have to join like these Facebook groups and these networks and go to events and like meet people.
2: Correct. Because <laughs> they can't approach you to say, I have an investment. You have to be the one for, <laughs> for, for a 506B, which is what the Security Exchange Commission allows for non-accredited investors. People have to approach us to get on our investor uh, pool and for us to be like, hey, this is what we have. Yes. We can't go out and market it. Now, if you're an credit investor, I could advertise all day to you.
3: Or um, or the other side is if we have, let's say, for example, with you right now, we have a relationship, right? We talk several times. We know mm-hmm. each other from, from previous. Then I can go lawfully. I can go to you and tell you, hey, this is what – because you already know what we do and the business that we're, that, we're, uh, that we're into. So we can go to you and say, hey – uh, we have this deal uh, and and we're accepting non-accredited investors would like to be on our deal. Um, mm. yeah. but I cannot but there pro- has to be an established relationship. Exactly. There has to be an established relationship and and, and I have to be able to prove it that I that we had that, that previous relationship. But I cannot go on Facebook and ju- or Instagram and just blast it to everybody and be like, hey this is what we have who wants to invest with us.
0: So how would you prove that relationship?
2: Well, there's documentation that Ah. you have to provide and, and it's all, you know, just checking balances because the SEC will do an audit and they'll say, well, how do you know these non-accredited investors? And you have to show, you know, it's like a history of when you met, how long you talked and (laughs) yeah yeah, it's pretty it's like if you were
0: gonna apply for like a marriage license for somebody who's a non-citizen you can't just have met on the street corner and be like yeah we're getting married
2: that's (laughs) a great way to put it I love that I love that yeah yeah
0: Yeah. oh my gosh okay so my next question is like how much money do I need to get involved in a syndication because I feel like this sounds like yeah I gotta have like $50,000, $100,000, $50,000, $100,000, like sitting around, like, what is realistic to get involved in these types of so deals?
2: It, it completely depends on, on the deal. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, uh, with us, we we initially set a minimum of 25k. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there are other, other people who, like, for example, Grant Cardone, he's a syndicator. Um, he takes like a grand.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
2: So people are getting like, I think, like, you know, $25 returns distribution in a month, but he, I mean, he'll take, he'll take anybody's money, whatever little amount you got, 50 cents, he'll take it from you, (laughs) (laughs) which is, it's interesting, you know, but you know, one of the big points I want to say is that, and I was trying to say earlier is, is the syndication is not just real estate. People are doing it in, in all industries, in the oil industry and it's, it's startups, you name it. Um, but again, we don't, I never heard about it until I started getting involved into this world, mm-hmm. right?
0: Yeah. And I think that's the most important point that anybody takes away from this episode. It's like, you have to educate yourself on what is actually out there because there's like so many possibilities that you don't even realize. But if you're not actively like seeking new information, like you're not going to find this stuff.
3: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 One, of, yeah. one of the things that I tell people is like hey turn off your TV <laughs> <laughs> and, and and start asking questions that you don't ask your question that you don't ask when you're in front of the TV and, and just consuming media you yeah. know if you, if you ask questions as far as like hey uh, how is it that people make money you know how is it that the wealthy make money uh, we tend to and I, 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 I talk about this a lot we tend to criticize the the rich and the wealthy. Um, because, you know, A, the rich get richer, and the poor get poorer. Um, and also that, hey, how come the wealthy or the big corporations don't pay taxes or pay minimum taxes? Mm. You know, that that's a, that's a big question that we ask as Hispanics and in, in people of, of uh, uh, middle and low class. And instead of asking, instead of criticizing or asking that question in a sense of criticizing, why don't you ask yourself, it's like, how is it that they do it? Because they're doing it legally. You right, know? and and you see people
0: going to jail and making millions of dollars unless they're like you know ex- running a Ponzi scheme or something.
3: Exactly, ex- and it happens, and it happens. Right. But legally, people just like you and I who does, for example, real estate. Real estate is is one of the those uh, um, uh, uh, businesses that that you can actually uh, shelter a lot of taxes and, and mm-hmm. has immense tax benefits that people don't realize. You know, right. so when you when you see people in real estate and they yeah, they're 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 not I mean just to, just to say it on, on, on simple terms, yeah, they're not paying taxes and it's totally legal, you know.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And one way I'll give an example in real estate, you know, you can defer your capital gains tax, which you can't do that in any other asset at least not that I know. And if someone knows, (laughs) let me know because I've never heard of anything like this. So you defer your capital gains tax and you could flip it into another real estate investment and put it in there. And you could keep doing that your whole entire life and you can die. And then what happens with those deferred taxes? They're gone. So you've essentially... Don't pay this taxes, is how, ever. if you want to know how the wealthy actually get wealthy, is because they go through life recycling their money. Mm. And then when they get to the point that they're dead and they're about to pass it down, there is no taxes for them to pay because they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now they have all these trusts and all these other entities right. where it's passed on to their next generation. And they might pay a little bit of tax there. For, you know, But other than that, I mean, you have a whole lifetime of compounding interest mm-hmm. in different investments have never been taxed. Yeah. So, yeah, there's ways to do this.
0: It's a great point, y'all. Like Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. is not paying taxes on purpose. It's not a mistake. Okay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> and he gives us, he gives us, it's not, it's not, people might say is greed, you know, but, um, but no, but the reality is it gives us the opportunity to reinvest that money. Like my brother said, recycle the money. So so people say, okay, these people are getting wealthy, you know, just real estate, talking real estate. Um, but the reality is when we buy a property, we first of all, we're helping the communities, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because when we buy properties, what we want to do is is beautify those properties, make them make them pretty. Right. So we you're can raise adding the rent.
0: value to that community.
3: Exactly, that's one. And then we have to hire other companies to help us out. Um, maintaining those properties, right? Mm-hmm. So we hire in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the process of purchasing it, we, we hire a, a title company. So there's people, you know, getting paid out of that transaction. Then we have to maintain the property. So we have to uh, uh, hire people to cut the grass and paint the buildings, you know, so so we're helping the whole community. And, and when we we get those taxes back that we paid, we're able or that we the the or the taxes that we defer, like my brother said, we are able to invest in more businesses, more properties, and grow. And with that growth, we're helping the, the community. So it's not greed. It's just we're it helps us out investing in and in, again giving back to the community at the end. Well, I
0: love that sentiment because I feel so passionately about this idea of building wealth with a purpose. And mm-hmm. so when we talk about like creating these opportunities for ourselves, we are also creating opportunities for those around us. We can create jobs. We can change the ownership of a community to people that look like us versus, you know, who don't. So I think that's super powerful.
2: Yeah. You know, I'm so glad that you just mentioned that because I was actually going to bring it up. You know, when we, when we started in this journey, we started seeing who were the people that were doing this and I would say about 98% don't look like us, Mm -hmm. don't speak Spanish, very few minorities, you know, and you, people are going to work with people that they can relate. Right. So the entry is already harder. Um, but you know, you, the hustle is there, you make it happen. and, And we've been able to meet some amazing people, but also we need more, we talk about diversity, right? We mm-hmm. need diversity in all kinds of groups. And when we talk about like affordable housing and we talk about rent control and this or that, if you come from areas like like we did, we, we rented all our life growing up and mm-hmm. we lived in, in dirty apartments that no one took care of, no one cared about. And and now that's something we talk about with my brother. Hey, when we get to this point, you know, let, let's not just look at raising rents, but let's look at how we can cut expenses from our operations, and then still provide a good return to investors, but not have to raise rents on mm-hmm. on the tenants. Right. You know, because at the end of the day, we we've, we've been there, right? Or maybe provided, you know, I would love to do like a, a an educational program for our tenants to be like, hey, this is how you budget, this is how you do finances. Let me help you get out of an apartment and purchase a home. Mm-hmm. like Because I know that would attract people, too. The next person would rent right away. What person wouldn't want to rent from someone that is helping them also level up, right? Right. So, so, you know, we need more people to realize that there's more than just the W-2 jobs, that you can go out there and, and, and do these investments as well and, and own apartment buildings, own a community, you can do that, and we need that.
0: Absolutely, need
2: to, like you said, we need to start changing the face of who owns our communities, and also taking advantage of that wealth building.
0: I love that. I am so here for all of that. Okay, <laughs> um, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on the benefits of leveraging multifamily real estate versus like single family homes, because I feel like a lot of us that think about kind of that first foray into real estate investing. We think, you know, I'm going to buy some single family homes and I'm just going to, you know, rent them out and make a couple of thousand dollars a month and that's it. But what is the power of actually leveraging multifamily real estate? Like, what is the benefit?
3: Go sure, ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> <me. Yeah.
2: laughs> so, you know, there's one it is time, right? So, I mean, residential takes actually it takes the same effort for both to be honest with you mm-hmm. so if you're gonna use your time I would I want to maximize it and that's what we realized like hey like for me to set up to buy a a, multifamily, a small residential multifamily four units and below I'm gonna put effort into it but I could put the same effort into organizing an actual business and growing it Uh, Because we had someone tell us from the beginning, hey, look, you know, buying buying residential is like you're just working for yourself. You're being a a normal uh, mom and pop owner of a store, right? You start going into buying apartment buildings or multifamily or hotels, whatever that commercial asset you decide to do you are now becoming an actual business where you're gonna have to hire CPA you're gonna have to hire a team you're gonna have that property management you're creating jobs mm-hmm. and you're creating an actual system there and, and that for 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 those of you who want who want to be entrepreneurs you, you know that's that's a solid way to do it. Don't get me wrong the, the buy and hold in the individual homes is great. Um, but for us, that's what attracted us. We, we see as, you know, real generational wealth. I, I see us in 10 to 15 years having an actual firm where we have investor pool and, and we can turn it into a, an equity fund and we can now support other investors by their mm-hmm. large assets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everyone has their level of risk and the level of tolerance and it's okay so and also way you'll you feel comfortable there's yeah. nothing wrong with
3: it and also also goals. I mean uh, we my brother and I were very uh, we have huge goals and we've always had big dreams you know we were always curious about how far we could get. Um, some people like like small and there's nothing wrong with that uh, but when it comes to to scaling is it's more difficult to scale when you go from one house to another house is also, also more difficult. And and this, everything that my brother said is, is uh, contraintuitive because it's actually, it takes more effort and it's more difficult to manage single uh, small properties here and there than to actually uh, get a a commercial building and manage that building. Um, It takes, it takes way more effort and we're proof of that. You know, we have those assets and, um, and yeah so we know
0: that makes sense to me because i feel like you know even in the sense of the risk of a vacancy with a f- single family home versus you know a couple of vacancies in a multi unit apartment building like if your one tenant in your single family house leaves or stops paying the rent then you're responsible for all of that money. Exactly. Like, So when you're relying on a bigger pool of tenants, like you can manage the risk, especially in situations like right now, when there's a lot of landlords that are like dealing with, and even like Airbnb hosts that they're dealing with, like not being able to pay their mortgages because their tenants walked out or they lost their jobs or something crazy happened, you know?
2: Yes, exactly. And and real estate, risk is diversified. By the more units you have, mm-hmm. so yeah, you, you hit you're spot on. I mean, most units don't go below eighty five percent, and that that's that's solid. But another big thing is financing. Mm. I didn't mention it before, but for example, in residential, uh, individually, you can go up to probably ten properties um, before you can't get any more loans. Mm. Before you know, banks start saying, "Hey, you have too much debt." personally and mm-hmm. I can't give you a loan to buy another home. Yeah. And then in commercial it's so it's completely backwards <laughs> and because they're not vetting you. They're vetting the asset that you bring in to get funded. So mm-hmm. a bank will say, "Oh wow, this you know, you have a a, a debt service ratio of 1.5, which means that after after every uh, after everything you can cover the mortgage payment 1.5 times so mm-hmm. you have enough to pay and some for savings right yeah. so then the bank is like this is a good deal you're making good <laughs> cash flow I can fund it for you okay oh but you don't have the the track record to do this for a hundred unit okay we'll find someone that can come into the deal with you and that's what what we're doing we have people that are high net worth who can come in they get a portion of the of the profits. But they sign off for us and they vet the deal and they make sure everything's good because they have experience doing this. And the bank is, yeah, okay, we'll give you. And you know what they give us? 3%. 3% uh, APR. Wow. Yeah. So commercial, you know, is significantly more attractive. I mean, even now, I think there's some that I've seen that are two point something. Um, Just because the banks see this as one of the best asset classes to fund. They don't see that much risk. It's all about risk to the bank.
0: I mean, it makes sense to me. Like people are always going to need somewhere to live. So <laughs> I don't see a world where like a real estate investor just becomes obsolete. Uh, oh, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think one other thing that we haven't touched on yet is that it sounds to me like the more that you actually like scale, the more real estate actually becomes a true passive investment where... When I'm thinking of like a traditional single family home investor, like if you're doing all of this stuff, you're the property manager and you're the leasing agent and you're the super like that's a lot of active labor to be making money. Um, And I think that's what turns a lot of people off about traditional real estate investing because it's like, yo, I'm going to work a nine to five and then I got to go and like deal with like broken toilets and all this shit. I don't have time for this. Yep. But when you actually scale, like your real estate, you can pay everybody to do this stuff for you. So I have to Exactly. By the cost. Yes. We're, and we're
3: and, and it, it, in reality, it's not it's not passive at all un, unless you are the passive investor. You know, mm-hmm. where, where you invest your money and then they they invest in in people like us, where we are the uh, the asset managers, right? We manage that money. We manage the properties. We manage. But that's what we want to do, right? Um. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, you can you can if you want to do passively, where well, well, you find a, a, a asset manager just like us, and you invest your money, and then you get your paycheck uh, every distribution date. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But you know, I, that word passive, you know, has become such a, a buzzword yeah. because, <laughs> like you, like you just said, you know, it, it's not really passive, uh-huh. and you know, I, I feel like people are throwing that word out there so much, and it's like it, it's a myth yeah. because for something to become truly passive, there comes a lot of work, yeah. Right. For it, like a lot, you have to set up foundations, you have to set up systems, you have to set up a business, yeah. Um, and that's why I say residential when you're doing it that one way, it becomes more of a mom and pop. So, mm-hmm. if you're you have to be present to actually make sure it is is working correctly. When you scale up to a point that we're thinking about and we're working on, you should have so many systems in place that if you go on a vacation, you have a number two, number three, number four, number five guy that is ready to step in for you and take care of whatever because they're also partners, right? Or, Or that you have a property management team that you don't have to worry about. And even now, we have our property manager who is the one that actually manages our portfolio. Mm-hmm. We just manage our property manager and we make sure he meets certain um, performance metrics that we want him to hit every so often. And it's just being smart about it uh, and making sure that you know you are managing someone correctly. I mean, it is really not as, as hard as people think, but it, it takes work until you can get it to be truly passive.
0: Absolutely, and I would say that about most income streams for sure
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, so I'm curious what advice would you give to somebody who's ready to start building wealth with real estate and does they have no idea where to start? Ooh,
2: Jeremy, well, you go
3: well I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be specific to your audience and for the Latinos, right yes. uh, one is to to change the mindset. Uh, there's so many opportunities out there, uh, even for Latinos, right? We talk about uh, our color and our people. Uh, but but the reality is that once you become that, that person that adds value to the society and to a community just like us, like the, the ones that were involved to real estate, um, there's people out there that we probably see as people that would never help us landing a hand, you know? Uh, we have people out there that we are surprised that are. Contacting us and in telling us, hey, we we love what you guys are doing. Uh, we love all the action that you guys are taking, all the value that you uh, provide to the community. That we want to invest with you guys. Just let us know how, how we can help you out, and let us know when we find a deal for you uh, when you find a deal, and we'll invest for you guys. So for uh, specifically for the Latino communities, right, and for for your audience, is change your mindset and start. Seeing the opportunities that this country, actually the, the entire world, uh, has to offer, you know, uh, educate, mm-hmm. your, educate yourself in whatever asset that you want to invest, especially in real estate. Start uh, learning the language, uh, start listening to podcasts, uh, read books. Um, if you don't read books, audiobooks are, are excellent for that. Um, but stop focusing on all the negativity that is going on right now, because there's plenty of that and it's going to be always uh, plenty of neg- negativity. Turn your head around and you're going to see a different world. Uh, so that's that's my advice for, for everybody out there that wants to get into any type of business, any type of opportunities, uh, but real estate, start learning the language and, uh, is, and start getting involved in, in this type of communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I Man, I love what my brother said, you know, it, to my Latinos out there, you know, I would say is, you know, along with my brother, just said the mindset, right? I mean, we are some of the hardest working people that are out there, and you know, a lot, a lot of our, our parents or, or us individuals, we didn't come here just to to be another worker be. Like, we work so hard that we need to learn how to shift that work into how to work strategically and with our mind mm-hmm. um, and what that means is that the jobs that you see day to day aren't the only jobs available you don't need to just follow the route of college you don't need to go end up being the local mechanic <laughs> like all my friends are mechanics yeah, I don't know what it, yeah so you don't need to to do that there, there's more out there and the only way to do it is sometimes reaching out to a new circle and finding out what they're doing how they're doing it. You know, I remember when I joined ROTC to join the military. And those my very first exposure to large, you know, investments of like apartments. And my friend's uh, dad, you know, we became friends because I was becoming an officer in the Air Force. And my, my group of, of friends I started noticing were a little bit different. And his dad owned a, a like 50 unit apartment building. In, Atlantic City, New Jersey, and they were Italian, and he would he started talking to us and talking to me about um, investing, and you know, hey, you guys should go do real estate. and He was a doctor, and that was my first. and At the time, I, I mean, I was still, I think I was like nineteen twenty. I didn't, I didn't really take much from it because I didn't know what he was talking about. It was like a different language.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But you know, it, it's it's up to you to. Understand that when people that are successful are telling you to pay attention to something that you should pay attention to it.
0: (laughs) I love that.
2: (laughs) You know, because they're telling it to you for a reason. They're throwing you a nugget in your mind at that moment, you might not know what they're talking about. And that's okay because it's something completely new. So you're like, what is he talking about? How is it? How could I even do that? Right. And then years later, once I started really, I, I told my brother this, I was like, wow, this is what like this guy would talk to me about. And he, he now owns a whole bunch of properties. And my, my, you know, my friend, he owns individual properties too. And, you know, it's just, you got to learn how to pick people's brain and and listen, hold on to it.
0: I love that. And it reminds me so much of like the, personal finance community on Instagram. I feel like, you know, it is a place where like a lot of people just come to find like-minded people who are talking about money and building wealth and, and educating mm-hmm. each other. And I think that's, that's so important, right? You have to find your tribe because you're not going to learn anything new hanging out with the same people all the time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs>
0: All right, so I'm curious, what is your money mantra? So, Nick,
2: mine is, you know, save to to invest. I mean, do it right, and then save to invest. If you save just to save, you're gonna you're gonna lose money.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, same same thing here. And I learned that since I started in real estate, I just want to save because I want to invest, and I know it's gonna grow.
0: I love that. Okay. I have one more question for you. Um, obviously there's not always like, there's the, the fun side of real estate and then there's like the not so fun, scary side. So can you guys share like a setback or a horror story that you've encountered uh, along your journey and how did you manage it?
3: A horror story? I don't want to talk about horrors. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, no, no. There's, there's a lot. Okay. Let me let, let me put it out there, right? And oh my god, I I I love soccer, right? And I wanna put it this way because people hear horror stories like, well, how come you <laughs> keep doing it? Um and, and I keep telling I, I compare uh soccer with real estate a lot, right? Or or any sport, you know, um uh, as a matter of fact, if you're passionate to something, um you can go and play your sport one day and you can somebody can break your leg, right? And you're taken to the hospital. You break your leg, and you want to go play that game again, over and over again. So it doesn't matter how scary it is, you want to go play it. Uh, same mm-hmm. thing with with real estate. I mean, I've I've, I've lost so much money. I've lost uh, friendships, or what I thought was friendships. Um, people that that stab you in the back. Um, we we with this actual portfolio. Uh, something that was really scary was the coronavirus. Mm. There was so much uncertainty that we were like, "Okay, what happened is if our tenants stop paying rents? Uh, we were going through a cycle of um, repositioning the uh, the the asset, which means that we're trying to to fix the the houses and we're trying to raise the rents, we're trying to get contracts. Uh, everything set up so we can either refinance it or sell the the portfolio. everything around, right? Um, and we had some some type of experience, but not experienced at that level uh, that it was actually scary. It was truly scary. Um, and fear is one of those things that you make up in, in, in your mind. You you start thinking about what if, what if, what if. Well, the reality is not that nothing happened. And our asset kept performing um, Actually, better than other assets and other people that we were talking to, because everybody was paying rents, and we had some uh, Section Eight tenants. That, uh, we were getting; they, they were getting their rents from the government. So, um, so we we went through these uh, crazy and, and, and freaky moment where we were about to go under the bed, and we're like, "Oh my God, whatever happens, let's <laughs> let it happen right now, because it's gonna happen." But well, the reality is that not, nothing happened. So yeah. it was it was a scary moment, but. As long as you keep, you know, going and and don't freak about it, uh, you'll be fine. You mm-hmm. know, I, I've learned that. So that was a scary moment for me. Yeah.
2: I love that. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I think that was the same thing, scary. Just, you know, a, this is a black swan event. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. Right. But I think something that, that was just different, um, you know, good and bad, you know, as you start going in this journey and people start to know you there's obviously i was uh, i'm still so surprised at the the good side of how many people approach us and just provide support you know like hey like we love what you're doing if there's any way i can help let me help and let me you know grow with you guys and we're always open to talk to people but then on the flip side you know there's always people who (laughs) you know are are really mean about things and just like pessimistic and you know, we we've had some encounters with I guess uh social media influencers who who are who are jerks. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean we our goal is not to be social media influencers. That's yeah. not what we want to do. But you know in order to show people what we're doing, we need to show it on social media. Of course. That's the way you do it, you know. Because <laughs> then you get some people that are really like intense and they're just kind of mean about you know, maybe we're stepping into their boundary or zone, And Mm. that's not what it is, right. That's not our intention. That's not our goal. But, you know, that really turned me off from, from a lot of people because I, I, I mean, I I like social media. I like talking to people, but I've never been the kind that's like, you know, Hey, get off my social media. (laughs) It's just weird to see how people kind of change when, when they feel a little I guess threatened or, or is- I
0: think that's what it is. It sounds to me like you guys are doing everything right and you're getting attention and there's just some people that can't handle it, which tells me just keep doing what you're doing because you're doing something right. If you're bothering people.
3: <laughs> yeah. That, no, that, yeah. that was a, that was a moment. Cause we're not like that. Right. We were very friendly. We like to collaborate with everybody, yeah. help everybody out. And then you get the people that are trying to shut you off. And, and it, it kind of hurts and it kind of hurt us, you know, uh, a couple of episodes where, where we're like, what, what's going on, man? What, what do we do? Um, but then, yeah, you we were friends. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then, like you just said, you realize it's like, no, this is, this is what we do. We have to do it. If we, if we just pay attention to those people, we're going to shut down ourselves. Uh, it's like, no, let's keep going, man. Let's, let's keep what we're doing. Uh, again, refocus to the, uh, the possibilities and the, uh, the, the, uh, opportunities out there. And yeah, but it it hurts sometimes.
0: I think that's a really good takeaway message, especially being Latinos. Like we are typically the first to be doing a lot of these things. And so it can be very easy to adopt this imposter syndrome and start feeling like you don't belong because you don't see people that look like you Mm -hmm. that are doing this. And we have to fight through that because that imposter syndrome is what keeps us from inserting ourselves into these spaces where we rightfully belong. So keep going. Oh yeah.
2: That, that's, <laughs> man, uh, that's, you put it great. I had, a, I had a friend who who said that we, uh, we were slumlords and, uh, all oh we, God. all we owned was, uh, you know, ghetto homes.
0: Yeah. Well you let the haters <laughs> and, uh, keep hating, it's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I know I did. I mean we had a talk offline, like, hey man, what's going on? And I could I could tell it's just a weird jealousy thing, but we can't let other people get to us. Yeah. So if you have something you want to do, just go and do it. At the end of the day, it's your life, you know, don't don't put too much thought into it as to what people say. There's always gonna be even family members are gonna say, Oh, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. This is not for you. You shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. Take yeah. the safe route. But right. the
3: reality the reality is that there's more people out there willing to help you out and, and, yeah. and proud of what you do and all the effort that you put than the people that are going to try to shut you down. So yeah. Absolutely. just keep going.
0: I love that. And I am super proud of you guys and everything that you're doing. So for anybody that wants to find out more about you and follow your journey, where can they find you?
2: Oh uh, Well, any of our social medias, uh, our website is gooddaycapital.com. Um we're really active on uh, Instagram, REI underscore brothers, uh, and then our personal LinkedIn, uh, German Buendia Oscar Buendia. And yeah, you, you message us, we'll respond and we could always set up a call, talk, whatever. Um, We're always happy. We've talked to so many people now about, you know, their journey and what they want to do and what will help you too.
0: Awesome. You guys are super inspiring. I'm so glad that you are in this space, that you're educating Latinos about all the possibilities that there are that exist with real estate investing. And I just wish y'all the best of luck. I can't wait to see what you continue to achieve in your business. And just thank you for being here.
3: Thank you so much. And yeah, we we really love what you're doing as well. So I appreciate it. We need need more people like you. you. Yeah, this
2: is awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I hope you love this episode and are thinking about real estate investing in a different way. I think a lot of us are kind of sold this idea that if we buy a single family home and we live in it, it'll just appreciate and we'll become millionaires. And the truth of the matter is that primary home ownership is not necessarily the key to building wealth. When it comes to using real estate to invest in you need a totally different strategy than you would when you're looking for a home to actually live in so i hope that this episode got your wheels turning and you start investigating all the different ways that you can invest in real estate be sure to check out our blog this week we're going to be talking about real estate syndication how it works how to participate and also the types of real estate investments and how you can get involved. So definitely head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com and check those articles out this week. As a reminder, if you're loving the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast, please make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share. That way amazing listeners like you can find us too. We want everybody out here being poderosa with their money. And so if they know about us, they can start doing that too. If you don't already follow us on social media, make sure that you follow the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and even TikTok. Yep, we're doing TikToks too. And don't forget to visit the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast blog where you can find episode show notes as well as personal finance articles, news about events, and more. Until next time, guys, stay inspired, stay confident, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.